As some of you know, we have a border collie called uh, Roscoe, and Roscoe is a very energetic dog um, and um, loves to play ball all day. Um, and um, about nine o'clock does finally settle down in the evening for a bit of a rest. And, uh, but we do walk, I walk Roscoe, I walk, well, we walk Roscoe, mostly me, um, but um, it's great because when you walk the dog, you, you get some fresh air, you get exercise, and you get to meet other people. And um, there's a couple we've met, um, and uh, they go to St. Leonard's, and a uh, lovely couple, and um, they have uh, been on the Alpha course, and, and the guy who's speaking to me um, about being on the Alpha course, and uh, he's, they, they've just done week four which is all about how you can have faith. And uh, he was saying, you know, how much he enjoyed Alpha. And he said, do you know that thing about faith? You, there's the illustration of Jesus knocking on the door. And if you know that, it's Holman Hunt's picture of Jesus knocks on the door based on Revelation 3.20. And he says, it's interesting, isn't it? The hand was on the inside. He says, what I realized was that when you open the door to Jesus, that's a big commitment. Because all of a sudden, you have to do loads of different things. Um, and your life really changes. And I thought, amen, you've got it. That actually being a Christian isn't just, you know, just kind of believing a set of beliefs. But there's a commitment that you make, and you have to, it will affect your whole life. Um, if you haven't been on Alpha, get on Alpha, uh, because you learn so much. But John was like... You know, this is, this is really important. And he obviously wanted to talk about it, which I thought was great. But the kind of light bulb went on that being a Christian isn't something you just, uh, you know, you do today, you forget tomorrow. It involves a big commitment. And um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at how in the early church there was a huge commitment that was expected that they made to God. And how through that commitment, the love of God was released. Okay, so we're looking at Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, just look at Acts chapter 2. If you've got it on your phone, your iPad, whatever, just turn to Acts chapter 2. So last week, Emma preached a great sermon on how Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached his heart out. And we read at the end of the sermon, which I think is around about verse uh, 40, it says this. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, great sermon, big crowd, 3,000 people get saved, get baptized, and now in the church because of that sermon. So the church has gone from, well, Jesus had 12 followers. Then on the, the uh, day of Pentecost, there was probably 120 people in the upper room. Then 3,000 people get saved. Okay, so the church has just exploded. And you kind of think, wow, isn't that, you know, wouldn't that be great if we had 3,000 people saved in one day? It would be quite a logistical nightmare, wouldn't it? You think about it. How do you cope with all these people? How do you, you know... Do you do small groups? Do you do, well, you know, how do you look after this many people? How do you disciple them? But the church is suddenly explodes. And then what Luke does, I think, is really interesting because he then says, this is what the church looked like. Okay, this was their life together. This is what happened after the 3,000 people got saved. So if you look at verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to every, anyone uh, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so what Luke's doing is saying, this is what the church looked like once it was started. This was their life together. And this morning, what I want us to do is say, okay, what can we learn from the early church? If the church, early church is like a kind of a prototype, what are the things that we can learn? Okay, and it all revolves around the word love. Okay, there are three things I want to say. As we look at this passage, as we think about the people this is what marked them out. Firstly, what marked them out was they loved God. Okay? And so often we think about the Holy Spirit coming, don't we? And we think of the power of Pentecost. We think of the fact that they all went out, boldly spoke uh, different languages. We think about the miracles. But what you have to see is that when the Holy Spirit is released, the love of God is released as well. And it's released, firstly, because these people, they love God. How do we know they love God? Because it says they devoted themselves to four different things. There was, and, and other people would translate the word steadfast. They were steadfast in what they did. They were devoted, firstly, to the teaching. So, okay, they had uh, no building as a church. They had no, uh, they, they had no pastor. They had uh, no real sense of direction. But what they did have is they had the words of Jesus through the apostles. And so the apostles would stand up and in the temple courts, and this was a big area, okay? It's reckoned there were 35 acres of temple courts, which was around Solomon's porch. It would have held thousands of people, and so there was a meeting, and the apostles would teach the people. They would say, well, this is what Jesus taught. These are the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Because they hadn't been written down, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the... the, the the, the gospels at that point. So it was the, the apostles telling the people, this is what Jesus said, this is what did. And they devoted themselves to that. They wanted to hear the word of God preached. Okay? How about you? You want to hear it? Do you want to learn? Do you want to grow? Do you want to know what Jesus said? Because, you know, for us, it's all there, isn't it? But these people, they were hungry to learn. They had a desire to hear what Jesus did and said. So they had the apostles' teaching. The next thing it says is they devoted themselves uh, to the fellowship. You see, actually what was happening was there was a deep connection being um, developed between these people. They understood the importance of being with each other. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on fellowship because it's going to be my next point. Okay, but they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They understood the one another's of scripture. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, the number of times it talks about one another. You need to do this with one another. You need to do that with one another. In fact, 59 times. Well, I listened to someone, they said 58. Somebody else said 60. Someone else said 59. So I don't know. It's a lot, isn't it? 
And do you know, do you know what the top three are? Ah, love. Fantastic. I think 16 times it talks about love one another. Okay? The next one, um, let me go for the next one, I think is encouragement. Okay? And the best one is this. The third one is kiss one another. Ooh. That's a bit of a scary thing, isn't it? Um, perhaps we should introduce that part of our church services. You know, that they have to greet each other with a brotherly kiss. But it's what it says. And what does that tell you about each other? It talks about getting close to one another. Because you can't kiss from a distance, can you? You can blow a kiss, but you, you have to get up front and personal and close to kiss one another. Which is what they're saying. So the church should be a place where actually we are connected to one another in a deep kind of way. And that's what they had. They had fellowship with each other. And we'll, do, we'll, we'll kind of unpack that in, in a moment. The third thing was the breaking of bread. And in a sense, this wasn't a service. I mean, in the church here, we have the breaking of bread. And that happens at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And everyone is welcome. It's a time where people gather around the communion table, where they share, where they encourage one another with scripture, with song, and it, the focus is on the breaking of bread, the remembrance of Jesus' death for us, communion. And we call it breaking of bread. But in the church then, when it talks about breaking of bread, it was about being close and sharing meals together. We see that in Corinthians. So they broke bread together as an act of fellowship. But also, it was a time to remember what Jesus had done for them. If you, if there's a, there was a great book, um, it's a very old book now because it's in my library, Charles Swindle, called Rise and Shine. It was a book about the early church. And he, he would say this, is a, this was an act of worship. And he would talk about the, the importance of worship in our lives, that God wants us to be worshippers, and how the early church were really worshippers of Jesus. Lastly, what did they do? They committed themselves to prayer. And uh, prayer was essential to the early church. You see, we, we pray when we're under pressure. And the early church was under pressure straight away. And, and someone was saying that basically when you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 12, you can see the church under pressure. Because at that point, people are mocking the early church. They're saying these people are drunk. They're speaking different tongues. This is the Holy Spirit. But they were mocking them. And then you can see the pressure start to build. In Acts chapter 4, we see people, uh, Peter and John are arrested. And then in Acts, uh, I can't remember, uh, but basically we see people ended up in prison and people losing their lives. Uh, Stephen was uh, executed. James was executed. Peter in prison, Acts chapter 12. And so the church was under pressure. So they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And the whole book of Acts, the book of Acts is actually, like, this is like a prayer book. Because time and time again, we see the church praying. They prayed at night. They prayed at the break of day. They prayed in storms. They prayed in the calm. They prayed when people were in prison. They prayed and prayed. And so prayer was essential to the early church. So when we look at the early church, they loved God. And they showed that by the things they did. So the apostles' teaching was so important to them. The word of God was what fed them. The fellowship, one another, was so important to them. The breaking of bread, worship, and prayer. 
And it says that as they did things, everyone was filled with awe and many people were added to their number and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. This was the life of the early church. And in a sense, when we think about what they did, they loved, they loved God so much. The next thing they did was they loved each other. And Dave has gone well ahead with my slide, but don't worry, Dave. Okay, they loved one another. And it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Again, the early church was a group of people who learnt about one another. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship, and it uh, occurs 30 times in the New Testament, and it means partnership. It means that they uh, worked together, they participated, they shared stuff together. And I wonder when we talk about fellowship, when we think about that. Um, years ago, we used to have fellowship lunches, and people would turn up and they would share their lasagna or their sandwiches or their whatever they brought. Um, and it was described as a fellowship lunch. But was it really fellowship? Dropping something on a table. You see, what the early church had, they had a depth of fellowship. What they were going through, they shared together. And it affected their pockets. They sold stuff so that other people were not in need. This was the depth of fellowship that they shared they shared with each other what they had. They shared life together. And I wonder whether, as a church, we have that sense of fellowship, whether we love one another enough. I, I have to say, I was a little bit surprised that you guys were in hospital, you know, and I just thought, oh, I wish I could have known. I would have I prayed. And I would, you know, we, we as a church, we need to develop that sense of fellowship and standing together that we might support and encourage one another because today we do live in a very selfish world don't we i was um, listening to this guy talk about how in a sense through the through the internet we create our own little worlds and he was describing how you know through this we create our own little world because we have our own playlist we have our own friends we have our own little world and uh, he goes to the point where he says we 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 are we are like gods in our own little world because we we decide who comes in who comes out and who we keep in and who we push out and and you know for me that breaks my heart because actually what what the church is, is god has created and the church is god's idea the church has created this thing and he wants the people to be a family and he wants people to share life together. And yet it seems society is pushing us into our own selfish little worlds. And I wonder how much fellowship we really experience together as God's people. Whether we really look out for one another. Because the early church did. And I'm sure it wasn't perfect. But they actually loved each other. And again, there's the release of the Holy Spirit. But they learned to love each other. And so they loved one another. They loved God. And then lastly, they loved meeting together. Now, I was talking to Doreen and Doreen, two of our 
wonderful women. And um, I was talking to one of the Doreens, and she said to me, oh, I was in church on Monday. She said, I was on church on Wednesday. She said, I'll be in church on Thursday. I'll be in church on Friday. She said, I'll be in church on Saturday. And I'll be in church on Sunday. And I thought, my, you're, you're here more than I am. And I get paid to do this. But do you notice when it talks about the early church, and, and uh, it describes how they met together. And it says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles every day. Okay? So, Doreen, you missed a day. But they were in church every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. And I described that, this huge place which would take thousands of people. They were there every day because they wanted to learn and they wanted to grow. And then it says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So meeting was at two levels. Firstly, there was the big meeting where everybody gathered. They did that every day. And then on top of that, then they decide we're going to meet together and we're going to have uh, food together. We're going to share together in one another's homes. And, you know, they didn't do it. They weren't miserable when, it did, when they did it. They said they would, did it with glad and sincere hearts. See, these people, they loved to be together. Their fellowship was so deep that actually they were hungry to be in God's presence and the presence of one another. And that sounds like great fun. For me, that sounds like what church should be. That there should be a desire and a hunger to be here. Now, I was thinking about this. Whether, you sh- whether the pastors here should be nice or nasty. Okay, we could have a quick show of hands. Who wants the nice pastor? Who wants the nasty pastor? Oh, yeah, we've got a vote for a nasty pastor at the back. Both. Sometimes you have to be firm. Because it, it, it kind of... Because you know, actually, um, what's good for people. You know, actually, what's good for people is to gather with God's people. To participate in worship and to to hear the word and to to be involved, to to share as family. And you you know there are people who just don't want to be here. But they are part of the church. I was listening to someone talk about Louis Giglio and he was talking about millennials. And those people are about 22 to 35. And he said they are leaving the church. But they're coming to Jesus. And I thought, I got my head around that. I'm trying to get my head around that. How you can leave the church but, but come to Jesus. Because surely the church is the body of Christ. And we are all part of the body. You might not think you are, but you are. And if you're at home, you're listening to this, you are part of the body. But what we would really love is for you to be here, part of the body. Because actually, God needs you. And you need to be part of a church. And you need to be worshipping with other people. And we've got to this point where we say, well, actually, online is okay. 
And there are certain circumstances where, where people can't get out and physically can't be together, and that's okay. But online is not a substitute for what happens in the building when God's people gather together. Because we need one another. I was thinking about, um, and, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, um, I did have a long-distance relationship. I lived in Bournemouth, and I was going out with a girl from London. And, um, and if you remember the old days when you had to go up the, um, the Winchester, what was it, the old bit of road, the old London road by Winchester, and how dangerous it was. But I remember Friday nights, I would leave work five o'clock and I would drive to London to see her and we would have, um, I don't know, 15, 20 hours together and then I would drive all the way home. And uh, well, I'd be on the phone a couple of times during the week. But I have to say, well, she ended it in the end. She obviously got bored with me. But I thought to myself, this is not, this is not a real relationship. We're seeing each other for just a little bit of time. And then we, we're gone. We, we just get the good bits. And I want to say, actually, it's a bit like if you don't go to church, isn't it? It's a bit like a long-distance long, long relationship. There comes to a point where actually it doesn't work. And we need to be gathering as God's people. We need to be together. We need to be worshipping. We need to be doing those one another's. And maybe we need to do a bit more kissing in church. Because that means we'll actually get close to one another. Because we need each other. And that's what scripture says. We need one another. I need you and you need me. Perhaps you could even say to the person next to you, I need you. And that's easy if you're sat next to your wife or your husband. Because you probably do need them. But we truly do need one another. And God has decided in his wisdom to create this thing called the church. And it's for each one of us to play our part. To share with one another. I heard um, I heard this guy talk, give this sermon illustration, and I thought it was very, very moving. And he was saying that uh, this guy had taken on a church, and he was really struggling with the church. It was not going well. The numbers were going down and down. And so what he decided, he thought, well, I'm going to give this one more go. So he announced that the church was dead. He says, the church is dead, and we're going to have a funeral for the church on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so he set up this service, and um, he sent out a notice to all the church members, and he sent out a notice to the community. And um, he decided that's what he's going to do. So he got a coffin, and he put it in the front of the church. And he announced that Sunday afternoon would be the funeral of the church. And he found that Everybody came. Everybody was there. And he said it was so packed that people looking through the window and wanting to know and, and be at the service. 
So he stood up and he gave this eulogy about the history of the church, you know, started in 19-whatever, and, and it's had so many pastors, and it's had so many things. And, and he had an open coffin at the front of the church. And when he finished speaking, he then said, um, I would like you, if you would like to, if you've been part of the church, I'd like you to file past. And you can see why the church is dead. So people came forward. And as they looked inside the coffin, they were suddenly very embarrassed. Because what he had done is he had put a mirror inside the coffin. So as people looked, they could see why the church was dead. It was dead because the people had not lived out their Christian lives and fulfilled the command of Christ and confirmed them, had lived according to the command of the New Testament. That actually we are to gather with one another. And the church is not just a building. The church is the people. And so often in scripture it gives illustrations of what the church is. And the church is a body. It is the body of Christ which you are a part of. And what we see in the New Testament was a depth of fellowship, which we'll probably never, ever see again. But what it does teach us is the church needs everyone to commit themselves to that fellowship and to do those one another's together. And my prayer is that as a church, we will learn to be together. We will learn what it means to be the body of Christ. But it means that each one of us has to play our part. It's to fulfill the calling that God has placed upon our lives. And that includes not just doing what God has called you to do, but to encourage others to do what they have called to do. And this morning we're going to do something um, as an act of fellowship. As you'll see at the back of the church and the front of the church, there's some bread. And... Uh, Gluten-free. And after we've sung the next song, we're going to turn off our online stream. And I want us to share bread with one another. And it means just picking up a bread, piece of bread and maybe going up to somebody and saying, thank you. Thank you for all that you do for God. Thank you for being you. Or saying, bless you. I just want to bless you today because of, of what I see Jesus in you. Maybe it's just, you just want to say, God bless you. I don't know. But I want us to get up and bless one another this morning. Now, we know there's a bit of concern about germs and stuff. There's loads of sanitizer. So sanitize your hands and pick up some bread and go and share it. Maybe just one piece. Maybe you just want to bless as many people as you can. There's loads of bread. It's going to be an act of encouragement, an act of being together and doing something of the one another's that the Bible talks about. So let's stand together. We're going to sing the goodness of God.